Good, bless you all. Um, the subject this morning is the kingdom of God, and the question is, how do we, how do we, that's you and me, how do we advance the kingdom? Well, to advance the kingdom of God, we need to understand it, we need to appreciate it, and we need to enjoy it. And uh, you may not understand the kingdom, because... Well, you should do, because Andrew preached on it two weeks ago, but you may not have been here. So, um, it, you know, it took me a long time as a Christian to understand, really, what the kingdom of God was about. So, we're going to start by reading Isaiah 61. If you've got a Bible, it's really great to follow, because you, you don't just hear the words, you see the words, you remember the words, you see where they come... In Isaiah, and this was, this was written several hundred years before Jesus came, and yet in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quoted these very words when he started his ministry. If you like, Isaiah 61 was the manifesto that Jesus started his ministry with. We're still waiting, aren't we, I think, for the political parties to come out with their manifestos. Well, I think we know what's going to be in them, um, and... Um, They won't really be that exciting, but this is an exciting manifesto. This was first written for the Israelites who were in captivity to encourage them to look for a day of liberty and freedom. And it's absolutely 100% applicable to us today because what does the kingdom of God do? There's three things the kingdom of God does. It sets people free and from everything, and there's nothing better than being completely free from hang-ups, from the past, from sin, from sadness, from inhibitions. It sets people free. It fulfills your deepest longings. The deepest longings of your heart are fulfilled by the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, as a human being, as God's creation, you can reach your full potential. So this morning, do you want to be free? Do you want to have those deepest longings in your heart filled? And do you want to reach your full potential? Well, the answer is in the kingdom of God. Now, um, a few weeks ago, somebody said that people that... They've been told by people in the church, and this is nothing wrong with it. This is good. We need to hear what people are thinking because it's fine for us to stand up here Sunday by Sunday and not, we don't know how the message is going down, but the, 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 the words that came back were that people don't always experience what preachers seem to experience. So when I preached a few weeks ago about the love of God, I can say that what I preached, I had 100% experienced. Now, this morning, I'm on a journey with this. I'm not there. In fact, as I've prepared this word, God has spoken to me. In fact, I really, um, this is really for me this morning, we, I really need a mirror up there to preach this to myself. Um, you could all go home if you want, and I can preach it to myself. Um, no, nobody's got up, that's good news, so thank, thank you for staying, we'll see how we get on, because we're on a journey, and this is the word for me, because I haven't arrived on this one, I'm still getting there, and I want to take you with me, and I hope you want to take me with you. 
Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I hope, I hope you're taking this in. Sorry to sound like a school teacher, but this isn't an historic reading. It is in one sense, but this is right up to date for, 2000, for you and me in 2017. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance, and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. When Andrew spoke two weeks ago, he started, he told us that the, the kingdom of God reflects the very nature of God and is where God's rule is complete. And he, we saw that when God put a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden. Man's fall in the garden separated him from the blessings of this kingdom. And we live in a world where Satan has power and authority, albeit limited. But as we've just read from Isaiah 61, and as you can look up Luke 4, verse 18, I think it is, Jesus has come to restore completely the kingdom of God. This has brought incredible change over centuries to our world. The kingdom is now and not yet. We won't really see the full kingdom of God until Jesus comes back to reign. Oh, we say, I didn't know Jesus was coming back to reign. Well, he is. It's in the Bible. And if he wasn't, I don't think we'd be much point being here this morning because our Christianity is not just for the present, it's for the future. And Jesus is coming back and then he will reign. Every knee will bow to him. He will, every, every power, every president, every terrorist, everyone who thinks they have any kind of power in this world, every religious leader, everyone one day will bow the knee to Jesus. What a wonderful day. Jesus will be absolutely in control. You know, I can't really wait for that day because it's exciting. We can't really quite take it in, can we, to think that what the new world that he brings with him will be like. 
So, Matthew's Gospel emphasizes the kingdom. Jesus' most famous sermon was the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you all know that one, don't you? You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount and all those good things like Jesus said that blessed are the poor, those that mourn will be comforted, blessed are the meek, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, all those kind of things that would make our world a lot better place if they happened. And if we go on through the book of the Acts, we found that Jesus in Acts chapter 1, when he um, rose from the dead, before he went back to heaven, he spent 40 days with his disciples and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. When the apostle Paul um, was near the end of his life, he went to Rome and there he was a prisoner and there the Jewish leaders in Rome came to visit him. And it says, from morning to evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God. So obviously this kingdom is extremely important. And Colossians 1.12 says, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Well, are you there this morning? Are you still in the kingdom of dark, in the dominion of darkness? Or have you been brought by God into the kingdom of the Son that He loves? It's always good when you see one or two people nodding their heads and to know that they're enjoying being in the kingdom of God's Son. So, where is the kingdom? Where is it? It's not an actual kingdom, it's not a place. That's good because somebody might try and overrun it or attack it. It's secure. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, the kingdom, it's near you. It's near. It's near. And then he went on to say, heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In, in Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom is within you. The Pharisees came and asked him, where's the kingdom? Where is it? Where's your kingdom? They wanted Jesus, they wanted Jesus to, to throw out the Romans and be the king of the Jews in Jerusalem. They wanted their freedom, and quite rightly so. But they couldn't understand this kingdom because he said, it is within you. And my question to you this morning, is the kingdom of God inside you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, if you don't, you you need to listen. Um, If you're not sure, you can listen as well, because God will reveal to us this morning about his kingdom. To understand and appreciate this kingdom, something very special has to happen in our lives. Do you know what that is? Something special. And it's quite simple, really. But the king has to reign in our hearts and in our lives. That's the only way that you and I are going to appreciate and understand and enjoy this kingdom if Jesus is reigning in here. So what about this king, King Jesus? What about him? What is his kingdom like? Well, I'll tell you what this kingdom is like. In one way, and probably only in one way, it's like all other kingdoms. It's like all other kingdoms in that it reflects 
the king. So if you have a bad king, and we've had a few bad kings in our history, haven't we? You know, Henry VIII and Charles I and mention a few others. They well, Some of them were pretty bad, weren't they? Some, and, but that's what reflected the kind of kingdom that the people then lived in. But the kingdom that God wants us to live in reflects the glory of his king, the love of his king. Now, I suspect most of you have got one of these. Um, it says European Union. I don't know how, for how much longer. Um, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And uh, you sort of look through, don't you, and you get to the end and you think, oh yeah, actually it runs out in a year. Must get that renewed, mustn't we? Yes. Because you might want to go on holiday somewhere and I have my passport's out of date. So. Um, and then you look at it and think, goodness me, I've picked up the wrong one. And then you look at it and go, oh no, it's got my name in there. And think, wow, that's... Um, yeah, it's not a very good photograph. I thought I got the wrong passport. You know, they're notorious, aren't they? Passport photographs for not being very easy to... They don't really look like you. You, you know, if you, were, if, you were a young per, you know, if you were a young person and you were sending... You fancy somebody and you were going to send them a photograph, you probably wouldn't normally send them your passport photograph. Now, maybe, having said that, some of you have got very good passport photographs. But... Um, it happens you know, when you go through the immigration sometimes, you give them the passport. Now, I know that you can go through these automatic ones these days, but you go through these, you go through, don't you, and you, you, give, you give the immigration official your passport. And um, he looks at it. Then he looks back at you. Then he looks at it again. And he looks back, and you think, what's the matter with this man? That's me. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, the most important thing about this passport are actually the words at the front. It says, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires, in the name of Her Majesty, the King of England, Queen of England, all those whom it may concern, sorry, I put in the Queen of England bit just so you made it a bit more relevant, all, all, whom, whom, it, all whom it may concern, to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance, and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. So that means I can come and go into the United Kingdom whenever I want, because I've got this. Also means that if I get into trouble in another country, and I was put in prison, um, whether it was justly or unjustly, that somebody from the British consulate would come and visit me to see I was all right and being treated properly. That is how Her Majesty's government cares for its subjects. Now, I can't give you this morning a passport to take away with you, with your picture in, to get into the kingdom of God. But I can take you this morning to the passport. And you can come with me this morning to the passport into the kingdom of God. And the only way into God's kingdom is by this cross. And uh, that cross is, is really powerful because it's, because it's empty. Sometimes when you go to places, especially perhaps in, in Europe and France, and you, you see crosses with a dead man on them. 
that doesn't make the cross very powerful. That is powerful because it's empty, because the man that was on that cross rose from the dead. So why, why do I have to come by the way of the cross? Well, that's where I understand the king. Because what do I see at the cross? I see selfless love. I see humility. I see meekness. I see total obedience. I see righteousness. And I see the giving up of rights. You know, we live in a world where everybody is very keen on their human rights. And there's, you know, there's justification in that. Life should be as fair as possible. But, you know, mankind surrendered his rights to Satan in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. But Jesus gave us back those rights at the cross. So if you want your full human rights, there's only one place you get them, and that's at the cross of Jesus this morning. 1 Peter 2.23 says that suffering, this is Jesus, suffering on the cross, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. Now I have to ask myself, Am I ready this morning? Have I done it? Am I going to do it? Am I going to go on doing it? Am I going to entrust my life to God? Because that is what is being in the kingdom is all about. Now, the kingdom of God is exciting. You know, we we love the bits, don't we? Um, Preach the gospel and heal the sick and raise the dead. See the prisoners released, that's all exciting stuff, and we get very excited, say, yes, Lord, bring it on, let it happen. But what else must we know about the kingdom of God? Actually, it's very costly to be in the kingdom of God. And this is where, if you like, the rub comes. This is where the challenge comes. It's costly to be in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13 and verse 44, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. So you picture this field, and somewhere in it, there's some treasure hidden. Now, if you're looking for treasure in a field, you hope the field isn't very big for a start because it narrows it down a bit. But you, you go and look for this treasure. It's worth a lot of money. There was some found recently, wasn't there? Somebody got a lot of money from some treasure in a field. I've stopped looking after 50 years. I haven't found any. But um, although we do have people come metal detecting, and it's, they have found one or two bits over the, year, which is in, over the years, which is interesting. But this man, he's digging in the field, or it might be a woman, and they dig in the field and they find some really good treasure. And so they think, well, I really need that treasure. That treasure will change my life. It will take me from a life of poverty into a life of riches and when I don't need to worry anymore. So they cover up the treasure, they hide it, and they go off and they find out who does the field belong to and how much money do they want for it. And they buy the field. And to buy the field, they probably have to sell everything they have to buy the field. And... That is actually, and that is the message of the kingdom of God. That if we're going to be fit for the kingdom of God, we have to give up everything to to enter into the full joy of the kingdom of God. Now, 
that doesn't mean that you go out and sell your house and sell your car and give away all your money. You might do. Some people do that. But I can't tell you what you have to do because, and you can't tell me, we're in a relationship, if we're coming into the kingdom, we're in a relationship with God. And he may make, he, he makes demands on us. Why does God make demands on us? Why does he ask us perhaps to do things that we don't want to do? Um, it's because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. You know, Paul encouraged, it says in Acts 14 and chapter verse 22, Paul encouraged the churches at Lystra, Iconium and Antioch to remain true to the faith. And he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know there's many of you here, maybe most of you who have entered the kingdom of God have gone through hardships. But sometimes we don't, we don't like it, do we? We don't like sacrificing things for God. We want to live our own way. But that is not the, the message of the kingdom. Remember, I said, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself this morning. This is a word for me. Am I hearing what God is saying about my life? And we have to remember too that the kingdom of God and the cross of Jesus Christ are completely alien to our culture that we live in. People who are not Christians do not understand the cross. To them, it means nothing. It's a historic relic. And if people don't understand the cross, if they don't understand the kingdom of God, that will bring us, as Christians, into conflict with the world in which we live. Now, we don't get too much conflict in England at the moment, but there is some, and some of you suffer. At work, suffer, maybe at school, college, you suffer words, you may have even lost your job in the past because you were a Christian. And that is to be expected because we bring something that is counter to the world's culture the world's culture of, of, of taking and, and, and bettering oneself and the world's culture of, of pride and of arrogance is completely different to the culture of the kingdom of God. So how are we going to advance this kingdom? Well, we have to be obedient, don't we? have to do it constantly. However long you've been a Christian, at least I find this, I constantly have to say, Lord, I just hand my life over to you again. I, I've been thinking the last few months that I want to do it my way. I thought this was a good idea and that was a good idea. You know, when God puts a stop on things in your life, don't get disappointed because he's doing it because he loves you. If you're a believer this morning, and if you're not a believer, if you're sitting here hearing the gospel, I tell you all, God has a plan for your life. God has plans to bless you. God wants your life to be fulfilled, walking with him as a believer. And sometimes he'll put obstacles. And, you know, we need to be very sensitive. We need to keep our ears open. We need to accept that there will be um, 
There will be challenges. There will be obstacles. There will be hard decisions to make if we're going to live and if we're going to advance this kingdom. So where does the church fit in? Well, as Andrew said, I think two weeks ago, the church is the agent for the kingdom of God. The the kingdom of God is expressed in the work and the life of the church. The kingdom of God goes out from this church and the other churches in Alton. It goes out into the towns and into the communities, into the villages. Oh, does it? Well, how does it go out? It goes out with you and goes out with me. Isn't that wonderful? You see, that's why we need to be kingdom people. We need to be people who are in step with God, who are obedient, who are humble. We need to be people who, when we come to the cross, we really know what it means. And you know, you can't come to the cross too much. I, uh, I often have to kneel down and say, Lord Jesus, take me back to the cross. Take me to where you died and where you forgave me. Remind me how much I've been forgiven. Remind me how much you love me. Remind me how much, Jesus, you gave up for me. Remind me that you who are rich, for our sakes, became poor, that by his poverty we might be enriched. Now, some of you are looking a bit grim now. Uh, the smiles are gone. And that doesn't matter because, you know, we need God to speak to us. But there's lots of good things about this kingdom, you know. It's setting people free. We had baptisms the other week. And there's Laura nodding her head. Bless you, Laura. <laughs> lovely seeing you here. It was lovely seeing you being baptized the other day. And, you know, I can honestly say... I mean, I, I, there's lots of good things in life that God has given me and honor, and one of the good things is being part of this church. I'm not trying to be super spiritual, but it is. But, you know, one of the most thrilling things is to see a new believer baptized. And my prayer is, and I know it's your prayer, let it be the prayer of us after the church that we see this baptism thing, Paul, being used so much more because people are coming and having their lives changed. And the other good news about this kingdom is, it says in Hebrews 12, 28, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All the kingdoms of the world are shaking. You don't know whether you might have a job in five years' time. You don't know who might be running this country in five years' time. You have no idea what's going to happen in the world. But we are receiving. It's a constant thing. Every day we get up and we enjoy being part of that kingdom. We're receiving that kingdom that cannot be shaken. I just want to finish by telling you quite an interesting story. At least after I've said that, I hope you find it interesting. Um, I was talking to um, a lead church leader in New Frontiers last night and he was entertaining seven Chinese pastors from different parts of China and um, those Chinese pastors had come to England because they wanted to celebrate the debt that they thought that their country owed to the United Kingdom and they had a tour of London you can do a heritage tour of London a Christian heritage tour of London it sounds really great 
Um, I think it's led by um, Terry Virgo's eldest son, whose name I can't remember, Ben. And you go to the places where people died for their faith so that we can sit and worship in freedom today. And um, they're going to they're going to Brighton Beach. Because on Brighton Beach in the 1850s, a man called Hudson Taylor prayed for thousands of people to volunteer to go as missionaries to China. And there's a whole name of famous people. Eric Adele, the great Olympic runner, he went to China, he died in China. C.T. Studd, a great cricketer in the 1880s, famous, wealthy man, he gave all his money away and then went to China. And then he went to Africa. He died in Africa. And they're going to Cambridge because that's where C.T. Studd came from. They're going to Edinburgh because in Edinburgh there's a, a Eric Liddell, Liddell Museum. They've gone to Bedford because in Bedford that's, that's where John Bunyan, he didn't go to China, but he was a man who was imprisoned for his faith. And they're recognizing what God, this country, men from this country who gave up everything, did for their country. Because I think in, in, in Beijing, there's supposed to be 3,000 house churches. I don't know how anybody knows, but he, this man told me there's supposed to be 10,000 people a day come to Christ in China. Um, now, that's a country that went through a cultural revolution. That was a country where Christians ostensibly were wiped out. God has used the blood of the martyrs to grow his church. That's why we're here today. And I have to ask myself, well, do you ever think, I wonder what it would be like to have to face death for your faith? You know, it's a challenging thought, isn't it? Hopefully we would stand firm because we don't know. We don't know what might happen in the future. There's that wonderful scripture um, in Acts 5 and verse 41. The apostles were arrested and put in jail. They were let out by an angel and went to preach in the temple. And the high priest said to the soldiers, go and get them from the jail. And when they went to the jail, they said, oh, they're not here. They're in the temple preaching because they'd just walked out. An angel had opened the door. And then they called them in and they flogged them. They flogged the apostles, it says. And um, it says that they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's amazing, isn't it, to thank God for a flogging or a beating because you had it for Jesus. That sort of doesn't come into our church culture too much, does it? But you see, it might be smaller things in my life or smaller things in your life. It might be you've never given your life to Jesus. There might be, it might be you're, you're thinking about it. You might be right on the fringe. You've given your life to Jesus, but you say, I don't really understand this kingdom. Well, this morning, you can come to the cross and you can leave everything there that you don't want to take anymore. And you can pick up your life and you can commit your life to Jesus Christ in a new way. We have to do that now and again, you know, because we, we wander away and we get taken up with our own ambitions. We're going to sing a hymn now, a hymn.
Um, so I asked the band to come up. Could you, could, could you put it up, please, Joe? Let me just look at the words as they're coming up. Just ask you to, you know, I find, um, I, find I think it's verse 2, um, all the vain things that charm me most, I'd sacrifice them at his word or for his blood. Um, you know, I have a job to sing that, I must admit, maybe you do, but just sing this this morning if you can, and um, just um, an opportunity to recommit yourself to, to God and to his purposes for your life. I pray that he will touch your heart as he's touched mine. So I'd ask you to stand to sing, and when we finished, please, please could you remain standing? Thank you. Thank you.